Hi, data followers. This is Claudia, president of De Manos con Amor, a New York-based nonprofit working to empower low-income communities through education and career-building skills. We are currently working on four projects. Two of them will focus on education in Honduras, where half of our team resides and where past projects have taken place. The other two will focus on career-building skills via Zoom, so anyone can join. These workshops will be taught both in English and Spanish. This giving season, we'd love for you to help us fund our projects. You can donate at www.demanosconamor.com. Can donate? You can volunteer. Please reach out at info at for details. This information will also be shared in the episode show notes. Hi, I'm Karen Sanchez and you're listening to Data, de aquí y de allá a weekly podcast where individuals championing our communities become a collective of healing through storytelling, a true team effort. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you'll continue to tune in. So welcome, welcome to Data. Today I have a very special guest near and dear to my heart. Haven't seen her for a while because I think we both really enjoy our alone time and our pretty independent. And there's a pandemic. And there's a pandemic, yeah. there's that too. But I think as a general rule, we seem to get along really well because we both enjoy ourselves. <laughs> spending time with our, spending time with ourselves. <laughs> Agree. Yes. So my guest today is my pal, Ms. Maya Jones. Welcome, Maya, to Data. Thank you so much for having me. I want to start off by saying that I love Karen. And yes, even though we don't see each other like every other day, like we're still cool. And I love that we can just pick up right where we left off every time. It's the beauty, the beauty of friendship. And um, Maya's pronouns are she and her. And just a quick FYI on how we met. We met the old fashioned way on an app on the internet. I was like, she is cute friend me now swipe right <laughs> it's crazy that you can literally like window shop for people right you know i was sold when i saw your little jedi ensemble i was like you know what i can get behind this friendship <laughs> i'm glad that you supported it <laughs> yes yes and then you are still in law school too when we met and i was oh god so you met me at like a very strange hard time in my life i was gonna say turbulent time (laughs) there you go i think that that's probably a better word for it but the fact that i i feel like i started law school and i had some friends and the ones that stayed around i know that those are the real ones you know what i'm saying and so the fact that i met you at a time where i couldn't give like a whole lot of attention and things like that but you still remain my friend. That says like worlds to me. And so it's like, yay, Karen stayed by me, even though I was in the library for the majority of our friendship. <laughs> I was like, we'll carve out time. Don't worry. I was also in a really interesting place in my life where I was working so much and I was, I woke up, went to work, went to work, came home. So I was like, I'm not going to meet anyone new on the road. And the yeah. friends I had at the time, they were all you know, busy living their lives. We had either outgrown each other or we're just like, you know, we're evolving. So I was like, you know what? I am ready to add more friends to my repertoire. And the oh. goddess blessed me with you. And bonus, Avery. <laughs> oh, yeah. Avery, Avery's here. Actually, sometimes I think that people are more 
my friend to be with Avery. <laughs> you know, I do appreciate. A lot of <laughs> I do appreciate an Avery sighting, although he always like poo poos me when he sees me. He's like, mm, "Hey, it's you." You should be more concerned. Fair enough. Fair enough. Avery, who <laughs> is your pet and also happens to be the favorite child in the Jones family. <laughs> He is. He is very much. Um, I, I'm just here to be here. He is the good child, and I am the other child. So you know what? I wouldn't have it any other way. So, you know, but some days it makes me feel a little bit bad about myself. I, I wouldn't. Again, you know, take your own advice. I wouldn't take it personally. <laughs> you both have your strengths. <laughs> My mom should be like. I like Avery better because he's obedient. I'm like, he also licks himself and pees in places he probably shouldn't. So, you know, priorities, mother, which is it? <laughs> you know what they say? Yes. If it's not one thing, it's your mother. Oh, no, legitimately. <laughs> so, you are a full on lawyer. Congratulations. You passed the bar. What was it Thank two years you. ago now? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It's, yeah, ago. it was a while. And I remember that celebration. It was super fun. And I was, I felt like through osmosis, I also passed the bar. And I was like, yes, I am proud of us. <laughs> I feel like everyone who was there can take some of that, though. Because, well, like, you guys got me through law school and the bar. So, like, I think it's though you, too. You also have a JD. <laughs> and you probably don't have a lot of legal knowledge. Because I'm sure there were times where I was blabbing on about things. Well, what, my mind. Yes, and I think it was still super fresh in your mind because I remember I would pick your brain about certain things and one day we just got to talking about the Supreme Court, which is actually the reason why um, I asked to have you on today because today is one day post-election day. This will be airing on Wednesday 4th. So yeah. I feel like there's going to be a lot of feelings today. <laughs> I, I do too. If we're like foreshadowing, so like a few days in advance, so like we're yeah. we're talking to you guys from the past. We're right talking now. to you from the past. We're going to be in the future soon, hoping yeah. for the best, preparing for the worst. Um, but one thing that I think is really important is that we don't lose this drive that has kind of surfaced in these communities and we're pushing forward so many movements making sure that our voices are being heard and one of my concerns is that let's say you know the person that we want to be in office isn't in office that doesn't mean that we have to stop doing this or just give up I think right these uses start doing more of what you exactly doing. just <laughs> one yeah absolutely and one of the things that really um I found concerning is that online there's actually quite a bit of rhetoric because I do live in my, you know, quote unquote progressive bubble. Um, but every now and again, when I would find the courage to comment on something, um, one thing, for example, is like, oh, just because you vote for this person doesn't mean it's going to be a, a fix all. Right. And then some folks commented, actually, a lot of people do think that if you just vote for this person, once they're in office, it's going to fix everything. I was like, oh, my goodness. It really isn't. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. There is so many things. Don't like. There's first of all, we have to acknowledge that there's three branches of government. 
So if we're talking about the federal level, um, we have, first of all, the judicial branch. We were talking about um, the nine justices that make up the Supreme Court, and one of them has just been put in, and it hurt my heart so much. But, you know, we're going to move on from that and make sure that all those other ones stay alive for a little bit longer. Um, <laughs> R.I.P. Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Right. The, the notorious. Um, and then we also have the legislative branch, which is the largest branch of the government. So it has actually the most power, which makes sense because it's made up of the most amount of people. And then you have the, like, sorry, then you have the president and he's basically a figurehead. He has power. He has quite a few, but they, I think that when we look at the president, it is, especially other countries, it's, we look at that person for guidance. And I know we do also, but understanding that in the larger scheme of things, they still have limited power because that's one person versus a whole legislative body versus a nine person um, judicial body. So, you know. Which is, I think, one of the reasons why there's also this conversation being had about how when Obama was in office, he actually didn't do that much for black and brown people, right, supposedly. But it's also because, to your point, he was somewhat of a figurehead and he was very much our leader, but he had a lot of roadblocks, one of them being the judicial system and also the legislative system, right? The legislative system, that's probably the biggest roadblock to any president, especially if they don't match. I, it's sad that we're so bipartisan. But if they're not part of your political party, they become your biggest adversaries and can stop you from achieving the things that you want to achieve. So Obama had a really hard time because for the majority of the time in which he was in office, he was dealing with a heavily Republican Senate and House of Representatives. And so no matter what he was going to try to do, it was going to get vetoed or it was going to be shut down. So... And one example yeah. of that would be him looking to appoint a new Supreme Court justice 10 months before he left office, right? Can you tell us a little more since you have the insights? So I think this is the craziest thing. And okay, I will say this. I forget disclaimer? the guy's name that he was... <laughs> huh? Oh, I said disclaimer? Yeah. So I forget the, the um, judge that Obama was trying to get in office. But I will say that I was kind of mad at Obama for the way that he presented. He was like, yeah, he's just kind of a nice guy. Okay, thanks. But I need a little bit more information about him. But Obama was, and there's, there's this thing about him when he's a genuine person. And so him being nice makes a lot of sense. And I get that. But when you're, you go in and you're like, okay, but this is the reason why they should be a judge. Mm -hmm. You being just like a nice guy isn't necessarily the qualifications that I need. Um, and so I felt as though he didn't push as hard against Congress to get this guy to be, to get him sworn in so that he could be, uh, could replace Justice Scalia. But, you know, His it name is what was it is. Merrick Garland. Okay. Thanks, Google. And <laughs> appreciate it. So, yeah, there's that. And then the fact that there were so many people saying like, yeah, it's an election year. He shouldn't be able to vote someone in, get somebody confirmed. And that is exactly what they did 
recently in a much shorter period of time. And so it's, you know, that double standard that we pick and choose what rules or standards we want to live by, um, the ones that are advantageous to us at that moment in time. And so maybe that's something we need to go back in and have an amendment to the Constitution about, like how long it has to be for, like we know there might have the potential to be a new president um, 10 months before the election, or is it a year before the election that they can't have somebody confirmed into the Supreme Court if they're on their way out? Absolutely. So that's something to consider. And one of the things that I did read about Amy Barrett, I believe her name is, or pronounced um, the new Supreme Court justice, is that, first of all, she's been two years in private practice, never tried a case, never argued an appeal, never argued before the Supreme Court, most private work involved in civil cases, not criminal cases, and 15 years teaching experience, never served as judge until 2017. So all these things, as I say them, is there anything that is a standout, like this person needed more experience to be a Supreme Court justice? So the fact that they never tried a case, that to me is probably the biggest thing, because I think that probably the best judges were once upon a time litigators. So that would like me, you guys voted me in to be judge. I don't know how this works. Like, you know, I'm not a litigant. So there's that. But I actually think that the biggest thing that I found to be appalling about her is she went to Notre Dame, okay? And then the faculty at Notre Dame were pushing to make sure that she didn't get confirmed. So that says something to me. Because wow. How, like, how great is it to have an alumni on the Supreme Court? Correct. Yeah, I actually didn't know this fact. Interesting. Yeah, that's yeah. highly suspect. So, like, every school wants to have, you know, this person on the Supreme Court went to our school and it becomes yeah. a big thing. But not the, Notre Dame. They were like, no, maybe, maybe we wait. Maybe we wait. <laughs> so. <laughs> Well, that's really interesting. Yeah, because I know Ruth Bader Ginsburg, for example, like she, I believe the records show she fought against gender discrimination and successfully argued six landmark cases before the U.S. Supreme Court. So she had a track record of being in this court and really learning how the system works, which is, I would imagine, is a huge leg up. Well, I will say this about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I think it's almost unfair to compare people to Ruth Bader Ginsburg and their good Marshall. Because at the end of the day, they are legends. They did more for people. Those two justices, and I forget how many justices have been on the Supreme Court since, you know, the founding fathers set this system up. Um, and none of them, none of them, other than these two, have had that many landmark cases mm-hmm. in which they argued in front of the Supreme Court and then ultimately ended up on the Supreme Court. Um, so if we're going to judge all justices by, you know, Thurgood Marshall, Ruth Bader Ginsburg level, everybody's going to fall short. But yeah, yes. I do think that she needs more experience. Maybe we should look at, hmm, what did Sotomayor do? Or what did whoever else is on Clarence Thomas? And I'm sure that he didn't do like a whole lot of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get into so, your feelings about Clarence Thomas. <laughs> right. So, yeah. Okay. It, it's okay. You don't have to be Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Like that, 
that's you don't have to be level. exceptional. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, but you I'm should have saying. tried a case. One hundred percent. Fair enough. And then I, I have also been hearing that uh, the Democrats, if they end up winning the office, that they are possibly going to be expanding the court. Is that something that's possible? And what's the likelihood you think in your experience of that even happening? Okay. So all things are possible. We can always make amendments and things of that nature. I mean, you have to have a certain amount of Congress supporting it. But I will say this. It's been nine justices. I think it will always be nine justices. We always are trying to come up with like new ways um, to make things fair. And don't get me wrong, I think that we should. I believe that the Supreme Court should reflect what America looks like. And it clearly does not. More than 50%, and this is crazy to me, I didn't realize that. Because it, it's a 50-50 chance that, you know, the baby will be a boy or a girl or... Maybe not even identify any of those things, but the fact that there's still substantially more women than men in the United States, let me know that the Supreme Court out of that nine, at least five of them should be women. And that has never been the case. Or we look at the population um, as far as race, socioeconomic status, things of that nature. It just doesn't match. Now, I'm not sure that adding, I don't know, two more justices is going to change that. Mm. Or, you know, it's always going to have to be an odd number. Will that, will that make it more even? Because I, I have a feeling that no, you look at all of the justices and there's a certain amount of education they had to have, right? And with that, then most of them went on and litigated. And while as a litigator, especially fighting for like civil rights, you don't make a whole lot of money. With the book endorsements and all this stuff, you live a certain mm. lifestyle that isn't comparable to what all of Americans look like. And so it's just like, who, like, who do we look for on the Supreme Court who is, came from nothing, um, was born of immigrant parents and made it that far? Because there's a lot of that story here in the United States. We're a melting pot. A lot of people weren't born here um, or first generation. And so I don't know that making the Supreme Court larger is going to fix that if we're still continuing to pick from the same, it's the same pot we have to pick from. Yeah, I, Most I hear what you're saying. Most people were still federal judges. How does my involvement as a regular citizen affect the Supreme Court justice that's placed in office? So I guess that's that's kind of where I see the disconnect. It's like, how do how do I a regular citizen of California have any input in who gets into that office or do I not? Or is it based okay. on the, on the um, representative I choose in my state? So, okay. So that goes back to fundamentally why voting is important. Yes. So, so that's what I was trying to get at. I was like, I know it's a complicated question. No, I get you. So a lot of judges, they start at the city level and then they kind of like make it up. We vote judges in. Some judges are appointed, but we have a lot of say and I'm not sure if you looked at the ballot, I think we were responsible for voting three judges in. I saw that, yeah, and they were bipartisan, which I don't believe, but whatever. <laughs> I mean, the, so the court is supposed to be bipartisan, but we know that we all lean in a certain direction. Um, and so having understanding that judges make law. So what I mean by that is we, the, legis the legislative branch, especially here in California, and this bothers me, so much 
Listen up, oh, California. This is, have, <laughs> this is why we have all of these props, okay? A lot of other states don't do it this way. Hmm. So we elect our, you know, representatives and they go up to Sacramento. I'm trying to figure out what they're doing in Sacramento because mm. they send all these props back to us to try to figure this out. But yeah. I voted you there to represent me so that I didn't have to do all of this homework. Like the mm. fact that you have to sit down, get on Google and, you know, go through all of this. I voted you there so that you could take care of this and have my best interest in mind. Mm. So, but back to the judges. So, the people, once a law gets passed in or a prop or whatever it is, now the judges are the ones who are going to apply this law, okay? So that means that they're going to interpret the law. And so through interpretation of the law, it becomes common law. So how we're going to interpret the words that the legislator put down on this paper, how it's going to be interpreted as law is controlled by those judges, not the legislature. So that's where, why judges, if voting for those judges is so important. And then as they make their way up in the circuits and whatever it is, they have the potential to be the next person on the Supreme Court. I mean, it's a long road. (laughs) A lot of people don't, you know, most of them end up being appointed judges in the federal system. So not to be confused with our state system we have going on, because those are two very separate, separate things. Um, so you as a individual, you need to vote in your representative to have your best interest in mind. So our legislative branch, that I am under the understanding that it's the individuals we appoint by state, correct? Can you tell yes. us more so about our senators that? and our I House of Representatives? <laughs> so I'm learning so much. The, the amount of uh, amount of representatives you have in the House of Representatives is actually based on your population. So California has more representatives than Rhode Island has. But the Senate, each state is entitled to sue two senators, not based on your population or anything like that. So mm. California has two senators, so does Rhode Island, so does Texas, so does any other state in our union. Um, they're extremely important because they make up the largest branch of government. When people say that all three branches of government are equal, that is not true. It is not. And the checks and balances let you know that. Um, And it makes sense for, I forget how many members are part of what equals Congress. It seems to me like they should have more power than the nine people in the Supreme Court and the one president. Yeah. Um, Because they're more, they're a closer representative of what the United States looks like. So, yeah, that is what they do. They make law. And then the Supreme Court and all the other judges in the federal system then interpret that law. It's a weird to think about. So we're going to move on to the executive branch, which is El Presidente. (laughs) Can you give us a synopsis of what this entails? So can you crunch you down your down? <laughs> Yes. Can you turn your four years of law school into a three minute soundbite? <laughs> really when I think of like the president, they were supposed to be they have a lot of 
power when it comes internationally. And the reason they do is because it's not written in the Constitution. And it has everything to do with the founding fathers didn't understand that travel one day would be super easy to do. Like this was still at the time in which, you know, you still had to get on a boat and like sail across seas and things like that. Yeah. So for there to be a lot of international diplomacy, there just wasn't needed. And so it was not written into our constitution. So when we get to a gray area, that's kind of when the president is able to step in and a lot of things. I mean, he, he's given certain powers. Don't give me wrong get me wrong but i think that where we have gotten in a lot of trouble with this current president um is because there isn't a lot of restrictions on what he can do internationally so he likes to piss everybody off mm-hmm. like that is his his favorite thing to do um right he used to get on obama for signing executive orders all the time but that's all Trump has done is sign executive orders about international policies and things like that. Mm-hmm. And it has the potential to get us in a lot of trouble. Yeah. But when I think of what the president is supposed to be, the president is supposed to be a diplomat. And diplomacy is very big in the sense that you have a, especially right now, you have a nation divided. And so usually your voice of reason no matter what political affiliation they are, would still be the president and would kind of try to take into consideration things that are going on on both sides and not be as divisive and almost just like mean as our current president. Like if you look at past Republican presidents, I don't think this is necessarily a Republican thing. I think this is a Donald Trump thing. Um, It, they weren't, I didn't think that Bush was mean-spirited. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, I might not have agreed with a lot of the things that he did, but I didn't think that he had it out for us in the way that, I almost think that Trump wants this all to just burn to the ground. Like, let's see how bad we can make it. Burn it to the ground. Um, I don't think that that is a bipartisan thing. I don't think that either side of the American population wants this all to go to hell in a handbasket. You know what I'm saying? So when I think of the president, I think of the figurehead that's supposed to be a diplomat and kind of unite us together instead of divide us further apart. So. That's really interesting. You bring up the point of how originally the plan was for this individual to travel abroad. And because we were traveling by boat back then, things were moving slower, right? Well, it wasn't right? necessarily for them to travel abroad. I don't think they had an understanding that the person would ever be able to go abroad. You know what I'm saying? Because of how uh, long it took. Like, okay, so if our England was our mother country, I don't know how many months it took to get from England to the U.S. on a boat, but you knew you weren't going to be going back and forth, back and forth. Um, and even to get a message across to the queen or king at that point in time, how long was that going to take? So these are just things that they didn't take into consideration. Like the same way that when you look at the Bill of Rights, I don't think that the founding fathers, knowing if they knew what they knew now, yeah. some of the rights that they gave or would they have given them to us? Would they have taken them away? Would they have been more specific on what they meant? Um, so the Bill of Rights, the first 10 amendments, when you look at them, 
They're directly in response to the things that England used to do to us. So most of the people that came over here came over here because of religious persecution and things like that. So what do we put in the First Amendment? Freedom of religion, you know, or a lot of them were criminals and they were put in jail for free, like free speech and things like that or saying things against the kings and the queens. So when they get over here, what is it? We say, we want freedom of press. We want freedom of speech. When uh, England would come over here, the Redcoats would just come into your house. And we were like, wait, we don't want that. So there's a certain amount of privacy that we're allowed at our houses. Everything they did it was that they wrote was in correlation to things that they knew. They didn't think, I don't think, further ahead. And so it wasn't any perceived fears. There were actual fears. So cruel and unusual mm. punishment. Yeah, things that England had done to you, you know, the right to be- the right to bear arms as a militia, and people fail fail to realize that we use the Second Amendment to mean so many things, but it's really for you to form a militia to go against the government because that's what our founding fathers had to do. Yeah. They had to go behind England's back, get their own guns, form a militia to take down the government. This wasn't to shoot your neighbor. Yeah. <laughs> very specific so i don't know i feel like i should have paid more attention in my um government class in high school <laughs> this is all so interesting to me as an adult as a teenager karen was at the beach sorry crunch high school i did ditch a couple mini classes <laughs> but doesn't the beach sound more fun than having to listen to one like, i mean I now. Me. <laughs> in a perfect world we would have both <laughs> but yes yeah i i agree i think the first time i came across this particular comparison was when we're talking about uh the right to own a uh, firearm, right? Because back in the day, it was like you had this one big old musket that you could have at the house, and like this was what you had. The law said that you could have, but now we have these automatic weapons that there's no need for a regular citizen to have on deck, unless they oh. are trying to form some kind of militia, but not to go against Even the government. Because <laughs> at this point, the government, I, the majority of the budget has gone to fund our military, so they're well equipped they're not over here gonna get right torn down by some ricky dink so, um 12 person militia or whatever the heck not anymore those were the olden right. days <laughs> so if we take it for what it was meant and i don't want to get on this like the founding fathers i don't want people to think that i'm anti them though they did get a lot wrong they did get a lot right too you know like yeah. in the constitution you know i don't think they understood the fact that they did give the legislative branch more power, the understanding that we, one person shouldn't be able to check the balances on their own of the larger body, the largest body of government and things like that. There has to be some give and take. But then again, the founding fathers did say that I was three-fifths of a person. So that, that makes me feel some type of way. <laughs> so Absolutely. They got some things right. Got some things wrong. So. And to date, um, so there are ha- the, some of the laws have been amended, right, to a certain extent. Um, but it seems like it's a very timely process. Is that something like who raises their hand and is like, okay, this actually doesn't sound right anymore. Let's switch it up. Honestly, I'm not even sure. I'm not even sure of the whole process that is that. Yeah, because it I seems do know like that things can move fast. That they aren't want supposed to, to right? Yeah. If they want them to, so mm-hmm. if we've learned anything from this new Supreme Court justice and her process, so 
there's a way to expedite anything. I think it's just a great point. Yeah. Who's on what side, who has the most power right now in Congress. So we've touched on the three branches of government. So now let's get into the to-do list post-election. Like, what do we need to do as individuals on a local level and whatever level we need to to see the changes that we want to see, which is, I imagine we're all on the same page in terms of making sure that black and brown bodies aren't shot for no good reason in these streets. That should be a pretty basic rule um, that right. women are paid the same that men are paid, um, that children at average ages, that they're not separated from their families when they cross the border, that Native peoples are given respect in their lands and they're giving, given access to running water, electricity and basic necessities, healthcare, et cetera. So like these, these topics, right, they're, they're important to me personally, but I, I hope and suspect that they're important to most people too. So what do we do post-election to continue moving this conversation forward? So I think that we have to understand that change, although we want it right now, has always been a slow process. And that's, I know it does, but it's a, it's slow. And we have to continue to have our voices heard. So just, just like I said, if your candidate for president is elected, that's great, but that doesn't stop you from, you know, having your voice heard because that person that single-handedly is not going to be able to change everything. So that is whatever that means to you. If that is still protesting, I'm not always a big proponent of all the protests. Um, I think that you need to talk to the people in power directly. And I, I feel as though sometimes protests kind of, pushes them back from us, it, it, to me, it's a, not the most diplomatic process. Um, it lets you know that there's two sides and it becomes adversarial. Um, and so having, having someone or having a sit-down meeting and being like, hey, this is what our community really needs, you know? Um, and if you can maybe make some promises that you will put these at the forefront, of your plan. So if that means that for women, it's like, hey, you know, I'm tired of making whatever it is to choose a man's dollar for the same work. Things need to change. And you as my elected official, I want this to be part of your plan. I want you to promise me that you're going to, whether you're on the Senate floor, the congressional, whatever it is, you're going to make a point to bring this up. Because the first step in this is getting it under the eyes of people who have authority. So all of my issues, so whether it is like you're an indigenous person, is like, hey, this is my native land. And you guys took that from me. And I think that it's time for it to be given back or to be compensated in some way because maybe it's, the indigenous people are no longer thriving because we've been pushed off our land or whatever it is. I need to talk to my representative and you need to guarantee me that you're going to give this some time in front of people who can affect this change. So yes, by protesting, I think you can get a lot done and get things out, but there needs to be some sort of sit down. And I think that sometimes people in authority are scared of the way that even if the protest is peaceful, 
in your mind, you could paint it out to be a mob because they're angry. You know what I'm saying? Like, no one's ever protested because, like, yay, everything's going well. So, Except for pride. <laughs> okay, yeah. So that's different, but that's more of a celebration than the. Pro- You're you know, absolutely like, right. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I think there's always just a way to the best way to handle it is getting it in front of the people who can help. Um, and that's hard because yeah, let's what does say that, that look like? <laughs> so let's say, and this is where I think in California we're at an advantage. And it's because we have a celebrity population who has an influence. And so the fact that with their influence, they're able to meet with representatives in a way that me and you just might not be able to. I mean, like, we might be able to meet with some representatives, but it'll take us a lot longer. But if, I don't know, name your favorite celebrity that lives out here, they put out a tweet or say that they want to meet with Diane Feinstein when she's back in the, you know, she's our senator when she's back here in California. It'll happen. She's not going to tell, you know what I'm saying? Because there's an image versus if me and you make demands like, Diane Feinstein, when you get back here, like you're going to meet with us. (laughs) You're going to be with us or else. (laughs) Right. So I think that we're in a particularly advantageous position because of the population that we have here as long as we're on the same page with them you know what i'm saying so so i wonder if also yes great point lebron has actually been over here causing some waves in in a really great direction right but at the same time he's doing it more on like a federal level the fact that the nba they they called it quits for an evening and said that we're just not going to continue to play unless certain things are met and the next thing you know, the Staples Center, the uh, whatever whatever arena in that city that the basketball players played it was now open for you to one either drop off your ballot or vote in person. That's a big deal. They were able. It was. It, I don't want to say it was not just LeBron. There was the whole NBA that stood behind this and was able to make a change. Versus if me and you had been like, hey, the Staples Center. It's not in use right now. This seems like a really good time yeah. for it to be a voting center, especially during the pandemic, because there's enough space. People could be spread out. All these things, they might have been like, yeah. okay. You know? <laughs> so Yeah, that's an interesting point. Influence. So it's like people in power just flexing their muscle, basically. So the common woman or man or person and won't sucks, necessarily yeah. have unless you are really great at twitter and have a bunch of twitter followers and you're like hey I like even that, that means you have an influence right exactly yeah is, right it's so. so so the average person <laughs> it's my pretty, of the world it's looking pretty grim for us <laughs> in terms of of what actual change on an individual level then we can make unless right. I'm like writing Gavin Newsom an email and hoping one of his interns reads it and he's like oh by the way Karen from Echo Park said that she thinks da 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 I think that the biggest thing of celebrity power that I saw in recent years especially with the Trump administration is when Kim Kardashian was able to get a young woman's sentence overturned now yeah. this is someone who while her father is an attorney and I supposedly she is studying to pass the bar and all of that other stuff. But even if she had not been able to, I thought that that was the biggest flex of celebrity influence that you could have because 
there's probably been many attorneys that have argued on this woman's behalf that were not able to get anything done. But Kim Kardashian stepped in and was able to get that done. But that so, speaks to the same reason that the current president is in office, too. <laughs> like, he, too, is a celebrity person who is right. out here doing these demonic things at this point um but with that said (laughs) with that said um i mean personally i plan to continue moving things forward as much as i can with conversations such as this and with my colleagues and friends and family members to make sure that we are not going bonkers like this is real chaos happening before our eyes and we're being gaslit and just thinking, oh, like, oh, no, things are fine. Like, we go back into our offices Monday morning and everyone pretends, like, you know, the big SOS is is a memo that not everyone got, got CC'd on or whatever. Right. <laughs> so we live well, in I this I want you world. to understand, too, that those meaningful conversations that you have, while might not be on a macro level, on the micro level might be even bigger. Because if you have enough of those, it can become a macro level. If you're going to get enough people on the same side as you understanding where you're yeah. coming from, then you start to have some sort of influence. Your circle of influence grows. And not to say that you need to be a celebrity to get stuff done. It's just easier because they already have a platform. But if enough people are standing on the same side of something, it's too big. And it doesn't even have to be the majority. It just needs to be big enough where it can't be ignored. So you don't even have to get 50% of a population in on something. It can be 30%. 30% is too big for us to ignore. Hell, 15% of a population that has an egregious problem, that's too big of a population for us to be like, nah. So I think that understanding that doing some of the things on the micro level, it's okay. And it's, it's necessary. So meaningful conversations are big. Absolutely. And that's what really gets me excited because once I figure out that we're on the same page with an individual I'm speaking to, then I'm like, okay, good. You have common sense. That's all I really need to know because I had really just like lost faith for a long time because I kept hearing former friends say certain things and former colleagues say certain things and certain family members that I no longer associate with say certain things. And I'm like, but how? That makes no sense. No, um, <laughs> so I guess the to-do list, at least for me, is to just keep doing what I'm doing. And, and um, for anybody listening who is a novice in politics, what would be some tips that um, would help someone navigate this strange land of politics and how to best keep keep abreast of what's happening in this in this uh, political world of hard, ours? That's a hard question. Just to come from me. I'm- if you guys haven't noticed, I, I'm kind of in this middle gray area um, where it's just like, this is what will happen. Um, yeah. I don't know if it's good or bad, <laughs> like, um, yeah. but I just think just staying informed. And I know that that's hard because with, in this new world of fake news, um, in this world in which anyone can tweet out anything and the next thing we know is trending, it's scary when I really think about it because it's like who is actually the press because there's a certain standard that journalists have among themselves but if I just decide that I'm going to be a journalist today I don't have to abide by that and I could get my whatever small following to start believing that and they're retweeting it and things like that 
Mm-hmm. So I think that it's important to diversify your sources. Um, I watch a few different newses. I, when I have a question on a topic, I go to multiple different sources to just kind of see. I can't just take one. As That's a great point. Gospel. <laughs> yeah, that's a great point because I will see someone post something that seemed outrageous at the time, but then I'll go online and see what the New York Times is saying or see what the Washington Post is saying or CNN is saying. So I check as many different sources that, until I feel comfortable reposting something because I'm like, oh man, like this is factual. Like the legit journalists are, are speaking on this and, and agreeing with this. So um, there's a lot of folks who don't do that though. They'll just see a headline and what is it? Clickbait. And they'll be like, okay, I'm reposting all this. This all sounds great. That's how the QAnon got, <laughs> got to where right. they are today. And like, that's how space force became a thing, right? It's like, what the even? And um, there's like space force. I didn't know that. I read like an article. Oh gosh. And here's the thing. Because I didn't trust this article. It was actually a horse involved in space force. I had to read like four different um so yeah that's that's where we are in this world yeah but yeah definitely diversify your sources and then i think another thing too is there's a level of discretion you have to have um because certain things if it sounds too good to be true it probably is and certain things if it's too far-fetched maybe aren't true but then under this administration there's been a million things that i thought were too far-fetched and i was like oh but that's true that actually happened yes. so it's a weird time you guys um but and doing your best because there's the mass dissemination of media everything changes just so quickly i i don't know i don't know you guys <laughs> well i think one one thing in particular that has been really helpful for me as in the know as I'd like to be I definitely make it a point to carve out sometimes a whole day if I'm able to and I know that's an entire ass privilege to just turn everything off and you know what today I'm just gonna watch the prices right I'm just gonna play with my dogs I'm just gonna do all these things not online because I do not want to be triggered but take that time to recharge and Take a step back because we can definitely become addicted to being caught up in the news. And that's that's scary. And then that just triggers anxiety and insomnia and like the list goes on. Right. So just just keeping in uh, mind to like balance information with also reflection and just self-care. And if you realize that you maybe don't have the time to take a whole day off, I think a good way to go about this is sometimes... I have to have to learn to control having a re- emotional response to everything mm. that I read because it is draining. So yeah. it's almost you have to retrain yourself because there is a lot of clickbait and then there's a lot of real stuff going on right now that just doesn't make sense. Yeah. So having if you go with your gut reaction, it is a draining time because you'll be constantly doing that you'll be constantly in a state of duress that's what i feel like it is yeah so helping to try to retrain yourself to be like okay that's what this says but is it one what it truly means two is this something that i'm going to use up a lot of energy on is that necessary for me right now so that's a great point to think about yeah, one of the things I used to do and I don't do anymore is I would look at the news and the Instagram and the Twitter first thing in the morning. But 
And like right away, I was like, all right, in a panic. Here we go, Tuesday. But now I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to brush my teeth, get ready, turn on my podcast on my way to work. And then as as things develop, maybe I'll check online what's happening. Um, but and, yeah, it, yeah, it definitely became a, a black hole. You kind of just like get lost in. So, no. word to the wise, please don't do that. It it's it's bad for the soul. It really yeah. is. You have to protect yourself. And if anything, like I know, because now we're speaking, we're from the past, but we're talking about like the future because yes. this will be after election night, which it probably end up, I think, being like an election week when you think about all the melon ballots and all the things that we have to take into consideration. That's I'm not sure point. exactly when we're going, unless it's a landslide, when we're going to know who the next president is but for all of you i think we're all very emotionally invested in this um just know that no matter who wins life is going to continue on okay because i know when hillary lost i thought the world would cease to exist it's basically it was just like everything is all over no it didn't we didn't just like you know implode there's been like a lot of terrible things directly related to the current administration that's happened. But at the end of the day, it's like we still keep going. Life goes on and we learn to adapt and work within the system. So that's just something I think that we need to take into consideration because we are adaptable individuals. We know this because survival of the fittest and you are still here today. So with that said, no matter when you're when you're listening to this on Wednesday, no matter if there's been someone declared or not, or it's leaning towards one direction, whether you believe it's good or bad, know that life is going to still go on because we're of elected a figurehead. You know, hopefully, it's the figurehead that we want, and there'll be. I think the biggest thing too is like there'll be some decency in the way that that individual handles the rest of the world and things like that. But there still is a full system of checks and balances put in place. Make sure that on the off your elections, you're still voting for your legislative body or voting for whatever it is that's coming up because those are things that you are, you can change. Um, even while maybe your elected candidate was not in office. So take a deep breath in and know life will continue. <laughs> One moment at a time, which is what I tend to do when I don't have like, you know, more than a moment to kind of pivot my mood. It's like, oh, you know what? Take a couple deep breaths and continue on. Because yeah, to your point, we're absolutely adaptable. The world isn't going to implode. Knock on wood. You never know what happens these days. Right. That's um, true. <laughs> it was good. Well, it was good. <laughs> um, but yeah, that that's Had a long uh, run. That's some great advice. Um, we're getting close to that time now. Um, is there anything that you are enjoying these days that you would want to give Cinco Estrellas to, aka five stars? So, yeah. Actually, I think that, and it kind of goes back to what I just said right now. I don't care what side you're on right now, but the fact that there's so many people out there having their voices heard, the fact that it's not even, a well, currently not even election day, and I don't know how many votes have been casted. I'm very proud to see that people are, you know, getting out there, having their voices heard and having an understanding that this is important 
in a way that I don't think that we understood how important it was four years ago, because then maybe we wouldn't be in the predicament that we're in. And so I give the U.S. as a whole five stars. Now, don't do me wrong. And by on Wednesday, I have like a, we have a two and a half star rating. But like right now, I'm giving it a five star, star rating. Would not recommend on Yelp. <laughs> so yeah, kind of the that's worst. what I'm holding us at just for the fact that, you know, we're out there. And even if I, we don't necessarily agree or anything like that, we're using that right to vote because it's big. And for all the people who aren't registered to vote, I don't understand. You need to explain that to me. I voted. I got my sticker. (laughs) Okay. I'm not sure if you knew this, but this made my, this changed the whole way that I viewed this individual. Colin Kaepernick is not registered to vote. He has never voted. And the fact that I stood behind him with the idea that he took a knee and I was like, that's, that's symbolic that means a lot kind of thing and then i was like but you don't vote i "I don't know what this means i don't know how this is one way to try to get the change that you want done i don't know it just kind of changed the whole way that i looked at him and what he stood for which i still i I mean i still appreciate all that he's done but it just was bizarre to me that so you just were a no vote which was a vote for trump in the last election. That's how that goes. But I guess it kind of goes back to him using his celebrity since a regular vote, like a regular Joe Schmo doesn't quite do as much. He's like, I'm going to use my Kaepernick vote. I vote right. no on this. Oh, dear. Or don't even register. Oh, not <laughs> registered. Well, it sounds like Rodale Drive has burned up all its stores and it's getting ready for whatever happened last night <laughs> or tonight. Oh, we will see what kind of commotion ensues. But thank you, Maya, thank, so thank much. You guys. This has, has very, been very insightful. I'm glad I got to pick your brain and I feel like I'm back in school, which is something I kind of miss. Again, I wish I would have well, paid more attention in my government class. <laughs> you know, hopefully I didn't misinform you guys too much. You know, have you guys leading? Check <laughs> your sources. <laughs> yeah, for sure, check them. <laughs> Don't quote me on everything. Uh, <laughs> There's one person, but that goes back to us. We told you check sources, use most exactly, exactly. Don't use our word as a gold standard. Start checking things as many different ways as possible. Be sure to follow at Team Data on all social platforms. That's at T E A M D A Y D A. I'd love to hear your feedback and any topics you'd be interested in hearing. We can send your emails to hello at teamdata.com. Be sure to listen in every Wednesday on your favorite podcast platform, including YouTube, for those who appreciate closed captions. Gentle reminder to rate and review the podcast. Five stars only. Thanks, friends, fans, and fam. Until next time.